Miss Donna. But let's prepare our hearts for the word today and ask God's blessing. Father, Lord, we just thank you today that we have been a part of this end time harvest. God, that inside of us the Holy Spirit dwells. God, that we have a new name, a new identity. God, that we have been called for a purpose. God, that you have a plan to redeem the world, God, and you are looking for your church to rise up, God, to be the people you've called them to be, to shrug off all the things of this world and, Lord, all the things that people say church is or church isn't, God, to be, Lord, Christ-like disciples that have victory and power in your word and in your spirit, in Jesus' name. Somebody said, Amen. Words in Red series this morning talking about figs, faith, and the family of God. But really this morning we're going to talk about, last week we talked about, uh, uh, what is it, the unlocking the power of prayer. Uh, Part of that figs and faith message is really about unlocking the power of prayer. And today we're going to talk about becoming a people of prayer. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 11, verse 15. Mark chapter 11, verse 15. Becoming a people of prayer. What do you think about when you hear the word church? Some of us probably will think about uh, a building, a church building. You'll probably picture a building in your head. Some of you probably picture pews and beams like what we have here at the sanctuary. Uh, you might think about a denomination. And I read this little uh, story. For those of you who know hymns, you'll get it. And the new young people probably won't get it at all. But a little a clip that an artist uh, 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 Sorry, an article wrote. It says, uh, you may have heard of the three churches at the intersection of Broadway and Main Street, a little bitty town in rural central United States. On one Sunday evening, the congregation at First Church was singing the hymn, Will There Be Any Stars in My Crown? But just across the street at the other corner of the intersection, the United Church, the choir rang out, No, not one. No, not one. At the same time, the first United Church, well, not just the first, not just the United, it's the first United Church on the third corner was chanting, oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me. And isn't that a picture sometimes of religiosity in America? Three churches in one corner, they're all singing against the other. Uh, But what do you think about when you think about the word church, and what does Jesus Christ want his church to look like? What are we supposed to be about? And, and the word church comes from the word ecclesia in the Bible. And it doesn't mean building uh, like what we understand it to mean today. It means the assembling of God's people. The assembly. And it really means the people of God themselves. That the church is the people of God. And so you really, you can't go to church Because you are the church, right? Uh, And you are the church. Wherever we go, if this building was gone here today and we met in a tent, we would still be the church. You can't, it's not a church service. It is a people of God who are serving God, right? There's no time slot in my calendar that says that's when church is. I'm always at church because I am the church. And that's really the biblical definition of church. It means the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. It, means a, it can mean a small group of the believers. So it can mean all of the church or just a group of people set apart in, in central Louisiana that call themselves the body of Christ. We are a subset, but we are still the, the church of God, the people of God. And so church means this, in my definition. It means the people of God who are set apart for the purposes of God. It church means the people of God who are set themselves apart 
for the purposes of God. So you may or may not come into a church at any time in your life, and you may be here today, but unless you are a person of God set apart for the purpose of God, you're not the church. The church is people who set themselves apart for the purpose of God. And when I talk about the house of God today, we're, tonight, uh, we're really talking about the house of God, the people of prayer. We're going to talk about a house of prayer, becoming a people of prayer. And uh, let me give you a little background here today. Uh, where we were yet uh, last week, and if you weren't here last week, okay, we're going to catch you up. Because let me, let me, let's go back in time a little bit, and let's go to the first century. And Jesus has walked the earth for 30-some-odd years, and it's getting to the end of His ministry, and He is about to die on the cross. And the Lord calls Him to go back to Jerusalem. Now, it's not just any time. It's, around, it's about to be the Passover season. It's the Passover celebration is about to hear. And if you imagine with me, if you will, that... Uh, it all has built up to this, and the Passover is this great celebration where we decide to celebrate, or God has called us to celebrate, the blood of the Lamb that has delivered us from sin and has taken us out of the, out of the, uh, the hands of the Egyptians through Moses. And so the Lord has said, uh, the blood of the Lamb, if you see the blood of the Lamb on your house, my wrath, my judgment will pass over you. Passover, that's where we get the word, okay? And so here it is, all thousands and thousands of Jews have come from all nations. They, went, they were dispersed. They are on all different nations. So all these nations of Jews come together, and they're coming to celebrate Passover. And Jesus comes in, and he's riding on that donkey. They're singing Hosanna in the highest. And he comes over the hill of the Mount of Olives, and he gets to the city, and he looks at all of the festivities and festivals. And he begins to weep. He begins to weep. Now, this is where we are today. And this picture, uh, that the, this city, the light of the nations, the place where God's holy presence dwelt in the temple, had become this worldly cosmopolitan center. It was ruled by corrupt religious leaders. And all of this is going on right now. And here's where we are in Mark chapter 11. And so we've got, number one, nations. All these Jews have come. To make Passover. Even some Gentiles are coming and taking interest. And we've got the courts. And you can see the picture on our, our screen today. There's these courts. And you kind of understand this. That the temple was divided in different courts. And there is the Holy of Holies. Where nobody went but once a year. And there's the holy place. And then there's this place where the priests and the altars were. Then you go a little bit more. And there was a, this increasing level of holiness as you got to the middle. And then you could get to the court where there was just men. The men of Israel. Then you go a little bit outer, there's the court where the women of Israel could go. And then you go a little bit further, there's the court of the Gentiles where uh, foreigners, people who, who were looking at to being a Jew and wanted to be curious about God could come make prayers and, and uh, get converted. Then they've got the porch, okay? And here's Jesus coming into the temple right now. And as he's passing this, he knows there's corrupt leaders. This is Herod's temple. Uh, there's a, a religiosity going on in this place. There's corruption going on in this place. And all of these festivities, and it's kind of like our, our Christmas and Mardi Gras today, that it's like nobody is really there for the real festival. They're there for uh, all the things that are going on, the parties, the fun, the food, the the roasted peanuts, you know, and the caramel apples, and you know, if we would put it in American, the funnel cakes, right? And that's where you go. You don't go to a fair to ride a ride. You go there for the funnel cake and all that kind of stuff, the donuts and the ice cream and the waffle cones and all that. And everybody's there with all these extras. 
And the temple was so busy at this time that they needed all kinds of extra things. You've got thousands of people coming in to make thousands more sacrifice than a normal week. So people began to set up booths. Merchants began to set up booths. They had extra places because you weren't going to bring all your stuff from wherever you lived. You would buy it new, your sacrifice, your oil, your incense, your dove, all these things. So there's the booths. Here's different booths for buying your lamb. Here's some booth for oil and wine and salt and all these different things. There was even uh, booths for buying pottery and things that you would use for the Passover celebration. And it was all the things you would need. And it was many more than they had. And so what happens is the corrupt leaders, what do they do? They allow all of these merchants to begin to put them in the court of the Gentiles to fit them in. Instead of being out in the streets, they brought them in, and they filled up the court of the Gentiles. And so Jesus walks in. As he's passing through, he curses the fruitless fig tree we talked about last week. He walks into the court of the Gentiles full of merchants, and the temple is a holy place. And all these merchants are inside it, and people are even cutting through. The temple's so large, they're cutting through to get to the other side to take their extra reserves. Uh, okay, we ran out of pots and bowls here. Go give me some more. Put them on the booth. Okay, we need to get a lamb. Check that lamb through the middle. Let's go through this way. Cut through there. Because it's just so many people. Can you imagine with me? Here we are. The sights, the smells, the animals, the incense, the crowd, the voices. There's all kinds of people talking. Jesus walks in to the court of the Gentiles. And here's what he says. You ready? Mark chapter 11. Verse 15. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. Catch that. In the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and to say to them, Is it not written... My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, all the nations. But you have made it a robber's den. Now, pause with me. All these people from all nations were coming in with all their foreign money and their Roman money. And these merchants were having them exchange their money for temple money, for Jewish money. But they were charging a surtax, a, sur a little interest on it, right, for every transaction. And Jesus comes in into this place of worship, into the house of God. This is in the temple courts. It's the court of the Gentiles. But he throws the tables over, says, you've made it into a den of thieves instead of a house of prayer. He's quoting Isaiah 56, and I'm getting to the point because you have to get the background here. You've got to get the picture. Because he says, Isaiah 56 says that God's heart, God's heart is so wonderful. God is such a loving God. He's such a gracious God that he desired that people from all nations would come into a place to worship him, that they would have a place reserved in their temple, even though it was segregated at this time, that there would be a place reserved for the lost in his house. I'm going to tell you today, God desires a place for the lost in his house. He said they had filled up the courts of the lost. They had filled up the place where the lost would come in and worship him. And he says, you've made what was once a place of prayer for the lost into a den of thieves. My house is a house of prayer. I desire all people, all people to come and to worship me. And he says, God's desire is to bless those who want to serve Him. He wants to bless those that want to seek Him. Now let's bring it in today. How does this apply to you and I today? You get the picture, you get the scene, the religiosity, the corruption, filling up God's house with merchants and getting the perspective lost. You know, Jesus today comes to save 
sinners. He comes to call sinners to repentance, and He breaks down all the divided walls of religion. He breaks down religion. He moves that mountain, and now by grace through faith, you are saved. All people who call on His name can be saved. So what does it mean for you and I today, the church, the temple of God? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. We are God's people, and we are called to be set apart for His purposes, but we're also called to create a place for the lost. You and I are God's temple, set apart for His purposes, but we are called to create a place in our hearts for the lost. He says, don't forget I'm a God who has always created a place for the lost to come in and pray to me. Don't get mixed up in all the religiosity and all your church-goingness and all of your busyness and all of the things that you think Christianity should look like and all the festivals and all the traditions and all of the suit-wearing and all of the hymn-singing and all of the the song-singing and all the preaching. Because he said, first off, my house is a house of prayer and there should be a place where the lost can come in. That's what we're talking about today. What prevents you and I, the people of God, from having His purpose of prayer in us? What prevents you and I, the people of God, from having a place in our hearts for the lost? What keeps so many churches, that we? it seems like many churches begin to put up reserve signs, but they don't ever let anybody sit there. It's like, no, that's not for homosexuals. They can't come in. No, that's not for those adulterers who uh, ruined my family four times over. Those are not for the people who wrote those hot checks against me. Those are not for the people that, uh, that lied about me, that stabbed me in the back. Those are not for the people who did this or did that or that. You're all, everybody's welcome, but not that person. I don't wanna, I'm not sure I want to sit on the same pew as that person. I'm not sure I want to do that. You don't quite look like we do. You, you might need to take a bath first, or you don't have the money that we have. Look, think about America today. What would Jesus be saying today to his church in America? How, my people. Let's retranslate this phrase. He, instead of saying my house, he would say, My people shall be called a people of prayer for all nations. He's talking about housebreakers, people who burglarize, who uh, uh, break in. Let's talk about that today. He says, a den of thieves. What are some things that prevent us from being a people of prayer and saving us space for the lost? He says, he quotes Jeremiah chapter uh, 7. He says, guess what? You guys were thinking that the temple was going to save you. You thought that all of your religiosity, and, and if we put it today, he's thinking, you think all of your church-goingness will save you. He comes into this temple and they are like, and what was happening in Jeremiah chapter 7, which Jesus quotes, he says, they were committing adultery, they were lying, they were cheating, some of them were even killing people, which we know is hating today, our brothers. Uh, They were doing all sorts of things. And they would come in and do this worship and this road and routine. They'd put on their good church clothes and they would go do all the sacrifices. They'd even teach Sunday school and they would give in the offering plate and they would sing the songs and, and bring their families along with them. And they'd do all these things and they thought that they could live like they wanted to live and go to church and that sing. And then they dared, they dared to sing about the deliverance of my blood. They were going to celebrate the deliverance of the blood. The blood has covered our sins. The blood has saved us. And he says, how dare you? 
Live like you want to live, and you don't, have, you don't even know my purposes. You're not a people set apart for my purposes. You're still doing what you want. And he says, you don't even, and Jeremiah, he says, you don't even care about the lowly, the outcast, the widow, the orphan, the poor, and you have a nerve to sing about how the blood of the Lamb delivers you. I'm going to give you three things today that prevent us from being the people of God who have a space, a place for the lost. Number one is a safe house. Number one is a safe house. These people began to believe that church was a safe house, that going to uh, God's house was a safe house. That, he says it was a den of thieves. A den of thieves basically means a place where thieves run and hide. They don't give up the way that they were. They take who they are, and they run and hide. And think about it. It's so like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in their own religiosity, when they sinned, they were naked and and ashamed before God. They cut the fig leaves. Remember the fig tree we talked about? He just cursed. They cut the fig leaves and they covered themselves. But it wasn't good enough. God had to sacrifice an animal to clothe them. He had to shed the blood. And it was only by the blood of the lamb would they be saved, right? And he prophesied the Messiah. And he says, there's nothing you can do on your own that will save you, that will make your sin look any better. No matter how many times we come to church, no matter how many times we make sacrifices and gifts of offerings, no matter how many times we can even sing songs about the blood of the Lamb, unless there's a saving faith in our hearts where Jesus comes in and transforms us and makes us born again alive with Him, it's not a safe house for us. The church of God is not a safe house for those who begin to continue to rationalize their sin, but uh, that believing that God will bless us if we continue to live in willful sin. I'm going to tell you what, going to church in God's eyes will not make your sin look any better. You know that? Going to church in God's eyes will not make you, you don't get bonus points. Okay, the gold star you used to get at the end of the week and, and you go home and you show your mom. We don't get bonus points. It's an act of worship for us. It's a willingness. It's a praise offering that comes from our hearts. But John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and purify us from all righteousness. And Jesus would say today, I will change your heart. I will save you. I will cover you with my blood. I will pass judgment over you. But it's applied the blood in faith. It's a willingness to obey me, to love me, to let the Holy Spirit transform you from the inside out. And it's okay. Adam and Eve were naked and ashamed, but they had to come out from the fig leaves and say, God, here's who I am. I've messed up. My life is nothing without you. I can't do it on my own. Cover me by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hope you all here today. Because this is where we are at as a country, church. This is where we are as a nation. I believe God has got a great outpouring that is waiting. He's waiting for His church in America to rise up again and say, people, my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. But it's not a safe house for people who want to rationalize their sin away and live and make the church, think that church is going to make their lives look better. But no, those who say, God, I'm open, I'm ashamed, I don't have it all together, I know who I am without you, and I'm willing to confess it before you, come and save me. He says, I've got you. No more condemnation for you. No more shame for you. I'll silence the accuser for you. Just confess it before me. Live open with me. Don't try to hide it. You can't hide anything from God, by the way. He sees everything. He says, just confess it. So it's not a safe house. Number two, it's not a shortcut. 
The merchants were coming back and forth through this, this uh, Gentile court. And you ever, want, you ever uh, get distracted in church? <laughs> you ever get distracted in church? People talking, going up and down, the people that have the bladder control problem. And that's okay if you do. We love you. But, you know, sometimes there's that person in front of you that falls asleep and their wife's hitting them on the side of the, you know, nudging them. And you're, you're watching how many times is, no joke, we were, as we were, I was a staff pastor and there was these older couple in our church and uh, we were sitting behind them and the pastor's preaching. We were counting. One, how many times his head went down. Two, oh, his wife hit him. And three, and the whole service, it was just like he was in a rock concert to the pastor, you know? <laughs> There's a lot of distractions. He, Jesus comes on there and he says, you have been a distraction to the purpose of the court of the Gentiles. You've come in here, you've filled it up with a bunch of trading, a bunch of religion. You're, you're putting burdens on the people and you filled the entire space with nothingness. This was supposed to be a reserved space for the lost. And you've made it into a thoroughfare of religiosity. It's a place where people are just coming and going, but nobody's doing anything. Hmm. Think about it, church. A place where people are just coming in every Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday, and they're leaving and coming, but nobody's really doing anything. It's just a bunch of singing. It's just a bunch of giving, which is great. Hey, we thank God for the offering. But they were getting temple offerings too, but God said, no, nobody's praying. Nobody's seeking the lost. Nobody cares about evangelism. Nobody cares about the nation. You have just filled church up with churchianity. And he says, come on. It's not a shortcut. Going to church and filling your lives with churchy stuff is not a shortcut to heaven. Because Jesus comes to his disciples and says, hey, I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was, I was in prison. You didn't visit me. I was sick. You didn't come to me. He says, where is the passion for people who are broken and don't have Christ? Where's the heartbreak for people? Remember, Jesus is weeping over his city. And he says, there are thousands and thousands of people who my heart is breaking for. And we're going to church and thinking it's a shortcut to get to heaven, but there's no compassion in our hearts. There's no burden for the lost. Those today who come to church after week after week, and he would say, if you don't have his heart, we can easily become a hindrance to the purpose of God in a church moving forward. People who are not interested in moving forward will unknowingly hold a church back. It's a spiritual thing. And he's saying, my people, you should be a people of prayer for all nations. But those of you who are coming, I'm not speaking just to individuals or our church today, I'm speaking to the corporate body, that those who are here just for a shortcut, you're being a hindrance to the purpose. You're being a distraction. When other people want to press into God, you're holding back. And it's causing all of everybody to hold back. When you're filling up those spaces and you're filling up those slots and you're calling uh, the, the pastor or you're calling those people but you don't ever want to change and you're not moving forward in the presence of God, you're holding everybody back. And he says, where is the passion for the lost? Be devoted to prayer. My house, my people, be a people of prayer. Colossians 4.2 Devote yourselves to prayer. Keep alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. And he goes on, he says, pray for the doors to open in the world for the word of God to go forth. And he goes in verse 4, conduct yourself 
with wisdom towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. He says, devote yourself to prayer and make the most of every opportunity the Lord gives you. It's a people who are praying and it's a people who are on purpose for God. It's a people who reserve in their heart a place for the lost to come in and be saved. And it's not a safe house. It's not a shortcut and it's not a stage. You know, this is sometimes called a stage or a platform. Church is not a stage. The celebration of the blood became all about these extras for them and in Israel. And sometimes you can think about it this way in America. What do we look at and measure church growth and church building? We look at the building. We look at the style of contemporary versus traditional music. We look at what the pastor wears. Can he wear blue jeans on stage? Which I did not today. You know, can that pastor wear blue jeans? Do they wear a suit and tie? Uh, do they have a good coffee shop in the background? Do they have lights? Do they have media? Uh, do they have benches or pews? Chairs or chairs or pews? Do they, uh, do they have small groups or Sunday school? And we begin to look at these things and say, what kind of church do I want to go to? Where do I want to be? You know, has it got young people or is it all old people? I wish they had more young people in this church. I wish they had more old people in this church. I wish they had more old people activities. I wish they had more young people activities. How awesome is their kids program? Uh, do, what do they do in their kids? Do they have puppets? Do they have lights and sound? Do they get snacks? And we begin to say all these things. We look at the pastor and we say, how many jokes does he tell? Is he interesting? Right? Can he gauge my attention? Is it a relevant point? Does there a PowerPoint with his sermon? Right? Uh, does he make me laugh three times, cry once, and then sit silently for two, right? Uh, you know, I mean, we look at all these things, and this is what the church in America begins to measure. And we can easily turn God's house into a theater. But I'm going to tell you one thing. Going to a worship service does not make us the people of God. Going to a church service does not make us the people of God. It's when we become a people of prayer for all nations, a people of prayer who create a place in our hearts for the lost. And Jim Cimbala, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New, in New York in the Bronx, he says this in his book. He said, if our churches don't pray, and if people don't have an appetite for God, what does it matter how many people are attending their services? He says, how would that impress God? Can you imagine the angel saying, oh, your pews? We can't believe how beautiful your pews are up here. Up here in heaven, we've been talking about your pews for years. Your sanctuary lighting, oh, it's so clever. You know what? The demons in hell don't care what our church looks like. They don't. The people who are lost and broken don't care what our programming looks like or what our building looks like or what the pastor wears or how he preaches. They just want some hope. They just want some peace. They just want an eternal hope when Jesus Christ. And so we ask ourselves today, is the presence of God here in our church? Is the power of God here among us? Is the purpose of God moving our church forward? I'm talking about the presence, the power, and the purpose of God that is only birthed by a people who say, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we are here, God, to pray, to seek Your face, to have an encounter with You. Because, see, Jesus knew that that place in the temple was set apart where the lost could come in and experience the presence of God. There needs to be a place and an atmosphere when we come together, church, that there shouldn't be silence between all of our songs. Sometimes the music quits and then there's dead silence in some churches. There should be an overwhelming sense of prayer and presence. That it's not coming from the musicians, it's coming from our hearts. And say that, God, I'm here to pray and seek your face. I'm not here to be entertained. I'm not here to be overshowed. I'm not here to see how awesome his sermon is this week and whether or not I can post something about it on Facebook. I'm here to encounter the presence of a holy God. Amen? Amen? Somebody better shout today. We're not going to cast any darkness out of our city. 
by coming to theater every week. It's going to come by a people who are on their face in prayer. Philippians 3.3 says that we are the true circumcision in our hearts. We who worship God in the Spirit and we glory in Jesus Christ and we don't put any confidence in the flesh. It's because it's coming out of the Spirit of God birthed out of our hearts that the lost don't encounter God's presence because they come and sit on a pew. They encounter God's presence in this place because it's in our hearts. Place for the lost. Israel forgot who they really were. They forgot about who they really were. They were just claiming the blood, but they forgot about who they were before the blood. You know, think about it. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was an adulterer. Jacob was a cheat. Moses and David were murderers. Samson was a backslider. And yet, by God's grace, these very men, through their faith, God moved mightily in power. I don't care who you were in, before the blood. Because the blood saves you, cleanses you of all your sin, and God can move mightily in your life. And there's always a place for you at this church. I don't care your reputation. Because Israel was made by worse men than most of us here today. God has used worse people than you in His power. Because we just have faith in the blood of the Lamb. And so we have to become a house of prayer, church. We want to create room for the adulterer, for the drug addict, for the homosexual who is seeking hope in Christ. We want to look out for the single mom. We want to look out for the fatherless team, for the victimized like we'll talk about tonight. We want to say anybody who loves God is welcome in my life. Anybody who loves God is welcome to pray with me. Anybody who loves God is welcome to worship me. I don't care who you are or what you are. We are a people of prayer for all nations. House of prayer. We've got an identity. First Peter Chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. He says, You are a priestly, holy people. I have called you to be priests. What does a priest do? A priest interceded in prayer for the lost. You are called to be priests to the nations, he says. I've called you to pray for other people, to intercede for other people, to be holy in the presence of God inside of you, that other people, when they're around you, that there is a point where they intersect in your life, and you say, God, I'm going to pray for this person to know you. And they come to you with their sacrifice and say, how can I meet the presence of God? And the presence of God is right here saying, just come on in. Welcome to the family. You're one of us now. Because they've confessed faith in what they felt in you. We are not common people, church. We are set apart as a holy people who are supposed to be interceding for the lost. We have a purpose. You and I have a purpose for being saved today. It is to be a priestly people praying for the lost. We have a priority. We have purpose. We have priority. We have a petition. Primary prayer. Jesus makes it primary. And prayer is what really makes our church more than a social club. A lot of people join together. Every week for a lot of things. We've got the Masons in town. We've got, in Missouri, you've got the Elks Club, the Rotary Club, all these different things. A lot of people can join together. You can go to a baseball game, a lot of people join together. But what makes us different, church, is when we are a people of prayer. We are a people who are here to pray. It's not, Jesus didn't say, my house should be a house of preaching. He didn't say, my house should be a house of praising. He said, my house, my people, shall be a people who are praying. How much is prayer a part of our lives? Real easy to worship. Real easy to put the podcast on. Come listen to a lot of sermons. Three sermons a week. You can get three sermons or teachings a week. But prayer. 
You call a prayer meeting, how many people show up to a church? Woo, right? Got some great speaker coming to town. Woo, everybody will be there to hear so-and-so, evangelist so-and-so, miracle worker so-and-so, pastor so-and-so is in town. But if you say, we're going to have a prayer meeting where we seek the presence of God, how many people are going to show up? My people shall be a people of prayer. Think about the early church. Acts chapter 2, it was a prayer meeting that actually birthed the early church. It was a prayer meeting that birthed the early church. It was a prayer meeting where the power of God fed on. It wasn't preaching. Prayer happened first, and it opened a door for the lost. That The power of God fell down, and it began the first revival. And from then, you think about how much prayer was a part of it. From then, uh, they prayed during persecution. They prayed for the sick. They prayed for the sinner. They prayed for spreading of the gospel in Acts. They taught on prayer in Acts. They prayed over new leaders. They prayed over missionaries going out, and they even prayed for themselves, the church itself. That prayer is a priority in the house of God. Prayer must be a priority in the people of God. How's your prayer life today? How's your prayer life today? What is God saying about your prayer life today? Does He say that prayer is the foremost priority in your life? That an encounter with God's presence every day that makes you continue to be the temple of God where the Holy Spirit dwells with you, that prayer is a priority? When we gather here on Sunday mornings, is prayer a priority? When we come on Sunday nights, you know at Sanctuary, prayer is the foundation of our Sunday nights at Sanctuary. It's our prayer meeting of the week. Sunday nights at Sanctuary, prayer is the foundation. When we come and gather in our small groups, we begin in prayer, we close in prayer, we bathe one another in prayer, that prayer is the foundation of the church. And it's not just a normal prayer, Lord, help us, get us through this day, amen. It's a petitioning prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says to his church in Ephesus, Timothy was there, he says, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on all men, behalf on all men. He says, even evil kings, it's good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, I want you to rend the heavens and petition, petition God to save your president. Petition God to save your governor, your county, your school board. Petition God to save your children, your families, on all men across the world. Petition. You know what petition means? It means beg. It means uh, get on your knees in earnest prayer and say, God, we are praying for God to do something mighty. We will do what we can do. But God, you do what only you can do. We want the Holy Spirit to move in our nation, God. We want, because uh, even the Bible, we know in Old Testament, my people who, who are called by name, my name, if they'll humble themselves and pray, what? I'll heal their land, right? We turn from our wicked ways. God, we are petitioning heaven for a revival in Gina, Louisiana. God, we're petitioning heaven for a revival in Louisiana, the state. God, we're petitioning heaven for a move of God that the lost would come in because, God, we've got plenty of space in our pews for them. God, we've got plenty of space in my life for the lost to come in. God, I'm not too busy that I can't disciple somebody. God, I'm not too busy that I can't pray for someone. God, that I'm not too busy that I can't spend time talking to someone about the goodness of God in my life. I've got room in my heart for some lost people. I've got room in my heart for some lost people. Charles Spurgeon said, uh, I thought about this. I'm like, okay, God, I'm just preaching this sermon. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. How do you get there? How do you get to that place where Jesus comes across the temple? He looks at it, and he sees the status of a people who don't pray, a status of people whose lives are too busy to care about the lost. And he begins to weep. How do you get that heart? 
We talked about it last Sunday night. Charles Spurgeon said, The priority of all Christians must give to praying for the lost. If you are much, here's the key, if you are much alone with Jesus, you will catch His Spirit. You'll be fired up with a flame that burned in His breast and consume His life. You will weep with the tears that fell upon Jerusalem when He saw it perishing. Do we weep for people who are perishing? And if I don't, I need to get along with Jesus. If I don't, I need to get along with Jesus. What if our gatherings here at Sanctuary didn't consist of just Sunday worship, but weekly prayer meetings? What if our gatherings here didn't just consist of Sunday worship, but going into the community door-to-door and praying for the lost? What if it wasn't just the leadership of the church or just a handful of people, but what if it was the people who had a passion to pray? What if it was a passion to serve poor families and to volunteer our time to meet the needs of so many single moms that have called our church this month and last month needing help? Jesus desired a fruitful church that by her faith would feed the world with the seed of the gospel. That fruitful fig tree that would reproduce itself with more figs. That that seed of the gospel would spread around the world and by her faith would feed the nations. And when we get, he leaves the temple and he walks out. And his disciples go to that fig tree and they, they get all this. They're breathing it all in, right? And he goes out and he, they see that fig tree and say, look, it's, it's withered up. And he ends that passage by saying, remember, all things which you pray and ask, believe you receive them and they'll be granted to you. What do you think Jesus was really passionate about that day? If you pray for this and believe it, I'll give it to you. The lost. Create a space in your heart for the lost. We are a people set apart for the purpose of God and we should have a place for the lost in our lives. Believe, ask in faith and believe it and I will give them to you. He will give the lost to a church who's asking and petitioning and begging God. God, we have space at our church. God, I've got space in my life. I've got a place in my heart for the lost. I'm petitioning you in prayer, God. Send the heavens down. Save the lost because they're welcome in my home. They're welcome in my heart. Ushers, would you come? Worship team, would you come?